Well, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We've been looking at, and it's been a couple of weeks, so just to kind of ramp us back up to where we're at, we have been looking at the concept of walking or living the Christian life, living out the Christian life, if you will. And, and this morning, Paul is going to use some additional descriptions and illustrations. Remember, I think as a good teacher, he's trying to hit this from many different angles, hoping that something will connect with each one of us. I think he, he wrote this in such a way for the Ephesian believers, hoping that all these illustrations and descriptions would connect with each and every believer. Because I think Paul wants each and every believer to live life to the fullest for Jesus Christ. And you know what? I think we want that. I hope so. I know I want that for you. We should want that for one another. And so he's got all of these little uh, ways of describing the Christian life, the, the Christian walk. And he goes through clarifying and explaining. And now he, in this section, he's going to use an approach that he's been using, but it's going to really stand out in this section because it's all coming at us rapid fire. And let me show you what I'm talking about. This is the passage that we're going to cover today, verses 15 through 18. I want you to notice, you can notice up here, you can notice in your own Bible, the repetition of these words. Words. Not this, but this. Not this, but this. Not this, but this. See how it comes rapid fire like three times in a row? So let's read the passage. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as wise, but, I'm sorry, not as fools. You should walk as wise. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You see that, that rapid fire, not this, but this. There's this contrast and similarities that he's drawing forth here. Now, one of the things that's really interesting is when you, when you come to the section today, we're going to eventually get to verse 18, and I want you to know this. Verse 18 is the pinnacle of Paul's argument. Everything in the walk section from chapter 4, verse 1 until 517 has been building up to 518. How do you walk worthy of the Lord? Chapter 4, verse 1. How do you not walk as the Gentiles walk? Chapter 4, verse 17. How do you walk in love? Chapter 5, 2. How do you walk as children of the light? Chapter 5, verse 8. And then what we're going to see in verse 15, how do you walk circumspectly? You have to be filled by the Spirit. That's the pinnacle. Everything was looking forward to chapter 5, verse 18. And then, oh, guess what? Everything following from 518 through the end of the book is also dependent on 518. Everything that's described following flows out of 518. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. How can you do that, wives? As you're filled by the Spirit. Husbands, love your wives. How can you do that, husbands? As you're filled by the Spirit. Everything's going to flow out of it. So we are going to get to the pinnacle today. We're going to get to the height of that mountain. We've got to remember that's where everything is driving in this walk section. It is not obey, obey, obey. That is not the Christian life. Obedience is the result of being filled by the Spirit. You see, it's not the means to the goal. It's the goal. The means to the goal is being filled by the Spirit. You cannot obey unless you are controlled and influenced by the Spirit of God. And so when we come to the application here, what must I do to live the Christian life? Here's the thing. Walk by faith and be filled by the Spirit. That's the answer. 
It's not obey, obey, obey. Obedience, again, is the result desired, but that's not how you get to the obedience. We've got to understand we need the empowerment, the enablement of the Spirit of God to obey. So very important. This is the pinnacle of this section. This is what he's amping up to. And so in verse 15, he's going to say, see then that you walk circumspectly. That's not a word we use a lot in our day, circumspectly. Uh, Not as fools, but as wise. Now, the command here in this verse is actually see. That's the command. See is the command. And see is exactly what you would think it means. It means to see or to observe something by sight. But it's a little bit more than that because it has the idea of perceiving or, or looking at something and being able to evaluate or understand something. You know, you've walked through life and you've seen something. You know, I, I remember, you know, just walking through um, life sometimes, walking through a, a, a high school hallway. Boy, you see a lot of things in a public high school. <laughs> you, you have one perspective when you're a student. I had a different perspective when I was teaching in a public high school. And, and I remember, you know, I would walk by something and I would see something and then I would keep going and I'd be like, wait a minute, did I just see what I think I saw? And as a teacher, I'd have to go back and address it because I had seen it But then I hadn't seen it with perception until I really focused in and paid attention to what was going on. This is the word here. This is is important. It's paying close attention to. It's not just glancing at something and moving on. It's looking at something with an effort uh, and intentionality to understand. I'm going to pay really close attention to this. And this is what this word means. It's a present tense command, so it has this idea immediately, at once, start looking into these things, paying close attention. And what are we to pay close attention to? The way that we walk. You're going to see, see then, what are we to see? We're to see then that we walk a certain way. We're to pay close attention to that. We're to pay attention. And we're going to come back to this a lot of times in this passage. This is kind of the main theme, if you will is that God is interested in how you walk. God is interested in every single step you take on your day-to-day walk. And for many believers, we need to wrap our mind around the truth that God cares about every step you take in your Christian life. That there is no off days in the Christian life, like there's off days from your work. That there's no off hours in the Christian life, like maybe there's an off hour at your work that this is important to God, that he values fellowship with you more than you will ever value fellowship with him. He loves you. He wants intimate fellowship with you. It's crazy. I know. (laughs) Why would he care about me? Why would he give a rip about me? As much as I've let him down, as much as I've failed him over the years, as much as I rebel against him with things that I know are true and I do the exact opposite, why would he, so lofty and high, even care about me? I'm just telling you, he does. And he wants fellowship with you and he cares about this and he wants us to care just as much as he does. Now, the word walk is the word that we've been using and seeing throughout this section. In fact, this is the last time it's used in the book of Ephesians. It's been used eight times. And every time it's been used with qualifiers. 
You know, walk this way, walk this way. And again, this is Paul's way of trying to illustrate and capture our minds so that if walking in love didn't catch your attention, maybe walking in the light will catch your attention. And if that didn't catch your attention, maybe walking circumspectly will catch your attention. He's got all these qualifiers. You kind of see that. 2.10, walk in good works. 4.1, walk worthy of the calling. 4.17, don't walk like the Gentiles. 5.2, walk in love. 5.8, walk as children of the light. And now we're going to see, he's going to say, walk circumspectly. Again, it's not a word that we use uh, a lot, but the word itself means diligently, accurately, or exactly. To walk with precision. To pay close attention that you walk with precision. That's the idea that's communicated here. It, it's talking about careful attention, both to detail and completeness. If there is a section in the back of the church, and I asked you to come up and do something uh, for, for the church, and, it was, and it was, you'd have to come up during the dark, and I went back there and I showed you now, you see this path right here. Be very careful that you stay here because if you step over into this area, there are, are king cobras. Now, I don't think there are king cobras in Nuna, Georgia, but if I were to say that, you would have a picture of what, how Paul is using this as an illustration. You would not go back there on your phone, just stumbling all around. You wouldn't be posting something on social media. You wouldn't be taking a selfie, posting something on social media. You wouldn't be reading an email. You're, all your stuff would be put away, and what would you be doing? You'd be like almost walking on your toes, right? Paying attention, being careful, being precise in what you did. You know, and that's just one idea. You know, I, I found this picture. It's incredible. This is called the most dangerous hike in all of the world. It's in a mountain range in China called the, I'll mispronounce it, but whatever, I'll go with it, Hua Shan, Hua Shan Mountain Range in China. One of the most dangerous hikes in the world. In fact, that little platform that this lady is standing on is a two-foot wide platform. And oh, by the way, that encompasses two-way traffic right there on the side of the mountain with a chain across. They, in order to climb this part, they give you a carabiner, you know, to, to clip you in. And, and do you think that when people are on this hike that they're worried about the stock market and their investment? You think they're looking at their 401k? You think they're considering uh, what someone posted about them on social media? Do you think that they're stopping to, to read a book? No, no, no. What do you think they're doing? <laughs> really paying attention to where they're walking. This is exactly the image that I think that he's uh, drawing here. And so the emphasis here that he's uh, kind of driving through is there needs to be intentionality in, in thought and focus in living the Christian life. And coasting in neutral is not going to cut it in the Christian life. And you know, Christians all over the world, myself included, I would venture to say you as well, we have this bad habit of being lazy. We are lazy in what we think about. We are lazy in the way that we self-evaluate. We allow all sorts of things to go on in our life without checking them at the door and recognizing them as sin. And I'm not talking about going out and getting drunk. That's easy to recognize. I'm not talking about committing adultery. That's easy to recognize that that's wrong. I'm not talking about blowing up your boss and dropping every four-letter curse word that you can think of. That is easy to recognize as sinful. I'm talking about heart attitudes. I'm talking about what you think about. 
I'm talking about things that may never even make it through your fingertips or through your feet. Are you checking those things at the door? Are you aware of them? Are you paying attention? Or do you just go through life lazy? And see, many believers do just that. We go through life lazy, then a crisis hits, and then guess what? We're attuned spiritually for a little bit. And once the crisis goes away, we're lazy again. We don't consider things. We're not actively mentally engaged. We're lazy. We just let it go. And then a crisis hits, and then we're attuned spiritually again. You ever notice, not that I want you to raise your hand, but can anyone just like internally say amen to that? Like you've seen that in your life? Man, it's terrible. (laughs) This is what Paul is trying to get us away from. That is a very inconsistent way to live the spiritual life. You know, God is not just some divine catastrophic insurance plan. You know, know, catastrophic insurance, it's like I pay a little bit less on my insurance, but it covers the really big things that may never happen. And some people, it's like they view God that way. We view God that way. I'm just going to bring God into the picture when something catastrophic happens. Other than that, I'm just going to live my life. God doesn't want you to live your life that way. He doesn't want me to live that life that way. So this is why he's emphasizing this concept of walking circumspectly. See to it. Pay attention. Close attention. Again, it, it, it emphasizes a highly focused and diligent approach to everything, what we think about, what we do, how we feel. Our, our hearts and minds are to be fully engaged every moment of every day. And that may sound uh, intense, and it is, because you've got enemies coming after you every moment of every day that want to distract you and wreck your life and wreck the lives of those who you love the most, coming after you all the time, period. And so this is intentional. God has, has made provision to deliver you from all of your enemies. Since power, the devil, the world system, everything is in place, but we need to take advantage of it, walking by faith, relying upon him, enjoying fellowship with him. And so this is very important to, to see the intentionality here. Um, <clears throat> notice also describes this intentionality. Go back with me now to verse 15. He says, not as fools, but as wise. And I put the Greek words up there so you could see the relation. It's both of those derived from the root word sophos, which is wisdom. But obviously the the fools has a negated a on the front. It's asophos or asophos. It it negates wisdom. Unwise, you could say. Wise versus wise. So, So not as fools or unwise people, but as wise. Now, what is wisdom? We talk about wisdom a lot, but wisdom is simply this. It's skillfully being skillfully adept at applying knowledge in daily life. It is taking what you know, and as you address the situation in your life, it is taking what you know and knowing where to apply the truth of God's word in every specific situation. Have you ever prayed and thought, man, I want to know what God's will is in this situation? That's, that's wisdom. It's being able to take the knowledge of the word of God and apply it. Because unless you got some other kind of relationship with God, I don't generally get messages in the clouds from God as to what I need to do, where I need to move, what kind of car I need to buy, what kind of job I need to take. Uh, a lot of it is I'm deriving principles from the word of God and I'm learning how to apply it, hopefully skillfully, in these exact situations that we face. And so this is one way that you walk intentionally. Is, is not as a, an imbecile, 
that has all this books of knowledge, but you never attempt to apply it. You never attempt to engage it with your life and life circumstances. In other words, don't be someone who knows something, but who does not take the time to be intentional about applying it. Uh, again, you know, go back to that, that dangerous hike. You know, you're, you're on that wall. You, you know what you need to do. You know it's a life and death situation. And yet you get a phone call while you're climbing and you take your hand off the chain to take the phone call. That is unwise. <laughs> that is not taking the knowledge that you knew, the fact that you had to sign probably a 15-page waiver before you got onto that part of the hike, saying they weren't responsible for your death. You knew it was life and death. Why in the world wouldn't you take advantage of that knowledge and apply it in that situation walking carefully? And this is the same concept. Now transfer that to the Christian life. Why would we not take advantage? Why would we not be diligently focused in this area? So again, walking circumspectly, when we talk about what does that mean, it means taking the knowledge that you know, responding by faith to apply the knowledge. It is a knowledge that's designed to lead to a practical outcome. That's what wisdom is. It's skillfully applied knowledge in a very practical way. That is how you walk circumspectly, and we need to pay close attention to the way that we walk. And that's how this all kind of comes together. Now, Paul's going to give us another description. Remember I said he just keeps bringing these descriptions from all different angles? He's going to give us another one now as he moves to verse 16. Verse 16 says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And so here's another description or illustration, if, uh, if you will, of how to walk wisely, how to walk circumspectly. And then he's going to give a reason why we should. He's, so he's telling you, and I'm kind of giving you another way to, why should you walk wisely? How do you walk wisely? And why, sh- why should you? And so he uses this phrase, redeeming the time. And you know, a lot of times we talk about redeeming, we think of the, the finished work of Christ, and rightfully so. Christ did what? He paid our penalty. He redeemed us out of the slave market of sin. He delivered us from all of sin's consequences, right? And all of sin's potential influence in our life. He provided deliverance when he redeemed us and paid that price. And so this word simply means to buy out or to redeem from. In fact, it's got a Greek preposition on the front of it that means out of. It's the Greek uh, preposition ek. So it's to buy out of or to redeem from. And the word generally meant a couple of things. It meant to buy up, to buy all that is anywhere to be bought is kind of the idea. If we've got any bargain shoppers in the room, you can relate to this word, right? Groupon comes out with a gift card. They're discounting it by 10%. I got to get it because I got to take advantage of it. And in fact, if they let me buy 10 of them, I'm going to start passing those around to my family members for Christmas, right? And so we take advantage of it. We would buy it up because it's, it's a good deal. We're seizing the opportunity, you might say. You know, in terms of just giving a, an example, you know, um, the, the toilet paper crisis during COVID in 2020, you know, we, we, had, we got seven people in our household and four of them are, are girls, and so we were a little concerned about the toilet paper crisis, to be honest with you, because you just don't know how crazy everyone else is. Like, I, I know what I'm thinking, but I don't know what the whole world is thinking, right? So, so we became, we, we started redeeming the time as, a, as it related to toilet paper. We go to Costco, we had toilet paper, but if they had a, a stack on the shelf, we grabbed it. We went to Kroger, they had toilet paper on the shelf, we grabbed one. 
Dollar General. I remember going through Dollar General one time. It's like, I'm going to see if they got any toilet paper. Hey, they got two packs. I'm taking them. And you were just redeeming the opportunity. You were buying it up. Any chance you had, you were buying it up. And, and, and that's exactly how we need to be viewing our spiritual life, is any opportunity that we can seize or buy up to be in fellowship with the Lord, we should take it. We should take it every single time. In fact, you know, that word time is, is not a, a succession of minutes. It's not this chronological time. It means a period of opportunity. It's, it's a season. It's, it's just the right moment. It's, a, it's the opportune time. It's, it's talking about seizing the opportunity. That's what we're talking about here. Every moment that's available to you to grow spiritually, to occupy yourself with Jesus Christ, to take your eyes off of whatever else your eyes are on. And by the way, the world can provide a lot of eye candy that distracts. Am I telling the truth? That's really easy to get distracted. And so every opportunity you have to buy up an opportunity to be in fellowship with the Lord, take it. Don't put it off. Don't say, I'll get to that tomorrow. Take it right now. Take an opportunity right now to seize these opportunities to grow spiritually. And you can see why, why this is another description. How do you walk circumspectly? How do you pay close attention to your walk? Well, every moment I have to be in fellowship with the Lord, I'm gonna take it. I'm not gonna devalue it and say, oh, I'll get to that tomorrow. I'll get to that on Sunday. I'll get to that to my next Bible study. I'll wait for that. No, right now. What are you doing? Changing a diaper? Redeem the time. What are you doing? Washing dishes? Redeem the time. What are you doing? Driving to, to school, driving to work? Redeem the time. What are you doing? Sitting in a library? Sitting at your desk? Redeem the time. Every opportunity is an opportunity to seize in your fellowship with the Lord. And it's never something you want to put off. And this is kind of, I think, his emphasis here. We don't give up any moment, any opportunity in our life to be in fellowship with the Lord. We don't just slack off even for a moment mentally and walk according to the flesh. It never ends well. It never, walking according to the flesh never ends well. It always ends in death. Death of some sort, it always ends there so again, we're to buy up every moment. Think about this. Every moment, every opportunity, every trial and difficulty you can benefit from if you take this mindset. You know what most, how most of our views of trials are? Mine, mine included. Lord, get, it, get me away from it. Get me through it. Just get it out of here. I don't want this trial in my life. Just move it on. But you know, there's an opportunity. There's something to be bought up, if you will in every trial that we face that can contribute to your spiritual growth. And, and it's an opportunity to be mindful and practically experience the character of God that we sang about this morning. Do you, do you know, let me ask you a question. I'll ask it a couple different ways. Do you know about the goodness of God? Hopefully you can quote some verses or maybe if you know, I got you a, a concordance, you could look up some verses and be like, oh yeah, God's good. But let me ask it this way. Do you know the goodness of God? You know what I'm asking? You know the difference of what I'm asking there? One is you know it, you know, in a textbook. One is you know it in your life. And you know, trials give you that opportunity. Trials give you, seize the opportunity. Don't just let the trial go. Don't blow off the trial. Say, in this trial, 
I want to get everything out of this that I can possibly get that the Lord Jesus has designed for me in this. In doing so, I'm going to learn more about him. I'm going to benefit from everything that he wants me to benefit from. Seize that opportunity. Buy it up. Take advantage of these opportunities. So that's the how of walking wisely. Now we're going to look at the why. Paul gives this phrase, because the days are evil. And the reason for this urgency is because the days are evil. The implication is we can't afford to do otherwise. It's, to use an athletic metaphor, it's crunch time. (laughs) Everything is heightened right now. Every decision we make, every opportunity we have to be engaged mentally, we should take advantage of it. Not snoozing, right? We just came out of that section. Wake up. We need to wake up. And be attentive to these kind of things. And that triggered a bunch of yawns in the audience. <laughs> That's funny. Anyways, they communicated here, honestly, the, the days are evil. Evil wants to influence you. Do you know that evil is just as active in its efforts to influence you as the Spirit of God is active in his efforts to influence you? That you've got, in terms of an equal desire. That's what Galatians 5 says, that they are the flesh, what? Wars against the spirit. The spirit wars against the flesh. They're both warring for influence and control. And you've got three enemies. We've talked about that. You've got an enemy within the camp, your sin nature. You've got two enemies outside of the camp, Satan and the world system, and they're all collaborating to come against you. And it's just uh, incredible to think that we live in days that are evil. And do you think that days are getting more evil or less evil as we await the return of Jesus Christ? I mean, you, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. It's, it's clearly getting more evil. I'm not saying it's more evil than at any period in history. I mean, we can get into that debate too, but it's definitely moving toward what the scriptures talk about those last days. And so it's going to become even more imperative to walk circumspectly, to pay attention, to redeem opportunities as we live in these evil days. Days here just refers to a day or a time or an occasion. It's not talking necessarily specifically about a 24-hour day. It's just talking about right now the the time period or the occasion that we're in uh, is evil. It's wicked. It's malicious. It's mischievous, if you will. And so I mentioned this earlier, but you know, there are so many things in our culture, in our day that are working against each one of us. And they're working in such a way so that you won't take advantage of every opportunity the Lord has put before you. That's what's so sad is our enemies are achieving a great victory in many lives of believers because of this distraction component to, to not only just distracting believers from service, I'm not even talking about that. That's, that clearly happens. <clears throat> I'm talking about distracting believers from fellowship. Boy, it is a subtle line to, to love sound doctrine and be in fellowship with the Lord. It's, it's a subtle line from reading your Bible and being in fellowship with the Lord. Do you, do you know that those things are not synonymous necessarily, that they, they assist in it? They help, they can be helpful toward that. But being in fellowship with the Lord and even talking about Jesus Christ are two different things. We, we understand that, right? We're talking about a love relationship with the Savior of the world. We're talking about a love, intimate fellowship with the one who died for you and rose again. 
Not just talking about talking about him. I'm not talking about just cracking my Bible open. I'm not talking about taking a pew at church. That has nothing to do with fellowship. We understand that, right? This is, this is where we want to go because the days are evil. We need this. We need the resources that only Jesus Christ can provide. That's what we need. And so it's very important to not be distracted. You know, earlier in Ephesians, we talked about God has designed you, prepared beforehand the good works that he, he wants you to walk in, that he's actually got a plan. He's got opportunities, and as it relates to good works, that he wants you to seize. He's also got opportunities that he wants you to seize to be in fellowship with them so that they, those good works are actually rewardable, and they, those good works actually bear fruit. But you know what? We live in evil days. What does Mark 4, 18 through 19 tells us? The parable of the soils. Remember this one? These are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who, who hear the word. Okay, they, they take in the word of God. They, they have knowledge. They know some things. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it become unfruitful. You're telling me that people who know the word of God can actually not fulfill God's purpose for their life? That's exactly what I'm talking about. This is why he's gonna come back to this concept of wisdom in verse 17. This is why he talked about wisdom at the end of verse 15, because wisdom is not just gaining knowledge. Wisdom is taking the knowledge that you know and knowing skillfully how to apply it. This soil right here, this this describing a, a person who hears the word knows things, but then gets distracted by the cares of the world. These, these are evil days that we're living in. And this is why he goes on to say in verse 17, don't be foolish. You know, don't cut, don't cut the wrong side of that branch, right? That would not be a good thing. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Therefore, again, refers to the past couple of verses. It's a brief summation of the, the last part of verse 15. Remember, he, he said there, don't, not as fools, but as wise. And now he's saying, therefore, don't be unwise. Don't do this, but what? Do this. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Unwise means without understanding. It means imprudent. It means considerate. It means foolishness. It is not taking what you know and trying to apply it. It is not taking what you know and and making an effort to to bump it into whatever you're going through in life. And you know, many of us live that way. We're just unwise. We've got this bank of knowledge. I mean, some of you, if we sat through and talked, how many Bible studies you have sat through in your life, we might have some jaws drop in this room, but like, what? 4,000 Bibles, you know, like we'd be impressed. But you know what's, what's even more impressive is how many of those Bible studies have you actually learned to apply? Let's talk about that. And I guarantee it's a smaller number. It's a smaller number than the studies you've been involved in. We all need to grow in this area of wisdom. We all need to redeem and seize these opportunities a little bit more consistently. And so this instruction by Paul, again, it's, it's urgent. It's, it's a present tense command. He desires an immediate 
response. It's a, it, he, he wants us to stop being unwise, to start utilizing the knowledge that we have and start taking it seriously, start paying attention and being careful with how we walk. In fact, you know, that verb be there, you, you might have a verb that translates that become. That's actually a better translation here. It's the Greek word genomai. It, it, it kind of describes a process. It, it, and what he's saying is don't become unwise. Don't go down the road that you're going to be a believer that just takes in knowledge with no desire to ever apply it. No desire to ever benefit from it. No desire to use it to seize opportunities to be in fellowship with the Lord. You become unwise over time. There's a process of time described here. So the main point positively stated in verse 17 is this. Respond to, utilize the truth that you have so that you can walk in a way that pleases the Lord. And if, and if all you did in your Christian life was just say, Every sermon you heard, every time you read the word of God, every time you heard a Bible verse, if your response was, Lord, how do you want me to respond to this? How can I engage my mind and mentally grab hold of this and hold on to it tight? I want to respond in such a way that I benefit from it, that I grow closer to you. If that was the only thing we started doing consistently, we would grow spiritually leaps and bounds. Because guess what? Faith honors the Lord. Faith pleases the Lord. That is what he wants our heart to respond. You know, I was reading a story about, I don't always agree with everything Charles Spurgeon says, but he wouldn't agree with everything I said either. So, but I don't agree with everything he said, but you know what? I read a story about him one time and I was really touched and it was such a simple thing. He was, he was out walking the streets. I think it was in London and, and he, and he was walking through shops and at, and at this uh, shop he passed by, he saw a Bible verse in the window. I don't know if it was a cross stitch, what it was. He stopped uh, and he read the verse and it was a, it was a comforting verse from the, from the book of Psalms. There's a few of those, right? I mean, so it was a comforting verse from the, the book of Psalms. And, and he said that he stopped, he, he read it, he stopped in front of there, wept about the goodness of God. Now, again, I don't agree with everything he said, but you know what? I appreciate a heart like that. I appreciate a heart that responds to the word of God and, and responds to the goodness of God and responds to the character of God and responds to everything that Jesus Christ is. And you know, what's so, what's so crazy is oftentimes we have all this truth and we don't internally or mentally respond to it and take it in and enjoy it and get engaged with it. We just chalk it up in the knowledge bank and we don't do anything with it. We might be able to quote it at a Bible study a couple weeks from now, but it doesn't mean we've owned it. And that's what he's talking about. Don't, don't be unwise. Don't take this knowledge in and not learn how to apply it. But what is the positive thing? Comprehend the will of God. Understand what the will of God is. So in, in, in contrast here, when you don't employ your understanding in practical matters, um, you're not going to understand the will of God. Because that's what, how God wants to reveal his will through you is through his word. It's to take the truth from his word and give you wisdom on how to apply it in your life. And this is how we understand or, or, or pick up the word um, of God, to comprehend it or perceive it. You know, it's interesting. I was just, th- this word understand, it, it, it kind of describes assembling individual facts and then organizing them into a whole. 
where it makes sense. That's what the word describes. It was used of when two rivers came together. That same word is used. It's like you're taking individual elements and you're actually putting it together. Think Lego box <laughs> dumped on the table. And, and, and within a couple of hours, it, it makes sense. When you dumped it on the table, it didn't make any sense. It's all these individual pieces. And this is what he wants for us to, to understand, to take all these pieces of truth, put it together in such a way that we, we can march out with confidence knowing the will of the Lord in our life. And this is what he's talking about. This is only gonna happen as we're in fellowship with the Lord. And so again, he wants them specifically to understand the will of God in their lives. Now, this can only be done as believers walk by faith. And, and I know that sounds like a very nebulous thing. Like, what does that look like? Well, Romans 12, 2 says, as we present our bodies, as, as what? As those alive from the dead. So we're reckoning ourselves dead to sin, alive unto God, and we are presenting our bodies to the Lord by faith. Presenting just means we're standing near, we're making ourselves available. And as we do that, what does Romans 12, 1 and 2 tell us? Well, let's go there and read it really quick. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, test, discern what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. You want to understand how to know the will of God? Begin to present your bodies by faith on a moment-by-moment basis. He wants to reveal it to you. God does not, I don't, uh, one game I don't think God engages in is hide and seek. He's, he's not trying to hide from us. He's not trying to hide his will from us. He's not back there, but, you know, playing the bull rider, like, yeah, come over here. Oh, ole. You know, I mean, he's not doing that stuff to us. He wants us to know. He wants to reveal it to us. And so how can God's will be comprehended? Well, we kind of looked at that in Romans 12.1, but Paul's going to actually give us another great answer in the next verse. He's setting the stage here, or let's set the stage for verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, one of the things we've got to understand as we get into this section, especially to the end of chapter 5, there's really three commands that govern this whole section. Verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. That's command number one. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands. That's number two. And then number three is husband, husbands, love your wives. Now, those three commands are gonna drive us through the end of chapter five. But one of the things that we need to understand is this first command, be filled with the Spirit, sets the stage and lays the foundation for everything that will come. Not only that, but it is, the, it is what drove uh, all the walking commands have driven up now to this verse as well. This is how you walk worthy. This is how you don't walk as the Gentiles walk. This is how you walk in love, et cetera, et cetera, all the way driving up to this verse. But what we're gonna see is being filled with the Spirit sets the stage for everything that follows. Wives, how can you submit to your, husband, your own husbands as unto the Lord? It's only as you're filled by the Spirit. Husbands, how can you love your wives as Christ loved the church? It's only as you are filled by the Spirit. Children, how can you obey your parents? I'd like my kids to listen really carefully to this one. No, just kidding. They're great. But it's only as they're filled by the Spirit. 
How do, how do fathers not exasperate their children, provoke them to anger, and raise them in the, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? It's only as they are filled by the Spirit. You see, it always comes back to this. We can't get too far from this. So it's a very important verse. Now, Paul, in, in order to describe being filled by the Spirit, he uses a very common example that much, many of us can relate to. Now, I don't want to go through the room and talk about who has spent time in a bar or in a nightclub or anything like that and has actually been drunk yourself or seen someone live drunk. We, we get the picture. Even if that hasn't been your background, you know what it looks like when someone's drunk. You, you've seen it. You've seen it on a movie, at least, or a tel- television show. You understand the concept. And so he says, don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. And so he sets up the command to be filled with the Spirit, again, with a similar but contrastive uh, event. He, he, he's gonna, you're going to see there's some similarities in what he's trying to draw, but he's also contrasting it. He's not saying, yeah, go get with, drunk with wine and you'll be filled with the Spirit. It's not, we're not being filled with the spirits, right? That's not what he's talking about there. He's talking about be filled by the Spirit. And it's, it's ironic that Paul uses this because it's a very licentious example. You notice that? I mean, it's, it's like, you know, in some churches, you can't even talk about alcohol. I mean, it's just like it would freak someone out, you know? But he actually uses this licentious example. Why does he do that? Because he's talking to people that used to be unsaved. They, this group had only been saved for probably less than 10 years by the time he's writing this epistle. So he's talking to the people that used to be the drunks. And as I look across the, the room in this church and those joining us on live stream, I guarantee I am talking to former drunks in here. And so this example is very pertinent, even if you've never been drunk, because you know what alcohol does to people. And that's why he, I think he uses this example, because it's a great illustration of being filled by the Spirit. Everyone's like, well, what is being filled by the Spirit? It's like, oh, it's so nebulous. I don't understand it. Pay attention. This is a very practical way to understand what he's talking about here. In fact, it's a present tense command. It's negated. Uh, two things there. It's got some intensity. Right now, don't be drunk with wine. The fact that it's negated could indicate that he's telling them to stop an action already in progress. In other words, some of the believers are still getting drunk. Now, that's maybe reading into it too much, but we do know that he's saying, don't even begin this action. Don't even partake in this action. Also, it's in the passive voice. That's very fascinating because be filled by the Spirit is also in the passive voice. This is where I think there's some similarities. What are we gathering from the passive voice. It is saying, don't let wine act on you. You're not the actor in it. Wine becomes at some point with a, a certain amount of intake, it becomes the one acting on you. It becomes the one influencing you. It becomes the one controlling you and driving you to do things, to say things, to feel things that you would not normally do, say, or feel. It, it becomes an influence on you. It acts on you. And, and by the way, certain levels of wine will act on you guaranteed. At some level, they are going to act. And the point is, once you take it in, you can't stop that. That influence is going to exert itself, if you will. And so Paul says about this, it's dissipation. He says it is dissipation. 
Present tense, it means, dissipation is an interesting word. It means having no hope of safety, extravagant squandering, or a debauched manner of living. This is behavior that you engage in when you don't care about the consequences. Most of the time, we, we stop certain behaviors because we're worried about consequences. You know, I, I'm sure there's a million stories we can share here. Let me just share one. I worked with a lady who was in her 50s. This was when I was in the real estate uh, business. And we had, a, we had a, uh, a company Christmas party, professional company Christmas party. This lady got so drunk at the party that she was actually laying on the floor acting like she was swimming in front of her boss, in front of the owner of the company. That is dissipation. That is the effect that wine has acting on us, controlling us, influencing us. And it's, it's debauchery. I mean, it's embarrassing. You would do things you wouldn't normally do. And now the contrast yet similarity, be filled by the Spirit. In other words, don't do that. Definitely do this. It's interesting to note, by the way, the Bible never commands the believer to be baptized by the Spirit, never commands the believer to be indwelt by the Spirit. It never commands the believer to be sealed by the Spirit. All those things happen the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work for you. As theologians say, we get the ribs, right? We're redeemed, we're indwelt, um, be baptized, and we're sealed, right? All that happens the moment you trust in Christ. But it is interesting here, he commands us to be filled by the Spirit. Kind of interesting. That's not something that happens automatically at the new birth. Be filled. Just like don't be drunk with wine is present tense, passive voice. The idea is right now, begin allowing yourself to be filled by the Spirit of God in a consistent and ongoing manner. One commentator said this, the phrase could be translated, be being kept on filled by the Spirit. It's this idea of this ongoing thing that we can take advantage of. And it commands the believer to allow the Spirit of God to act on them, filling them with something. And that begs the question, filling them with what or who? I think that's a great question. Because at first glance, it looks like with, with that preposition translated with, it looks like the, the, the believer is filled with the Spirit of God, that he's the substance. So the Spirit of God fills the believer with himself. That's what it looks like at first glance. Really interesting, when you look at that preposition in the Greek, it's probably more accurate to translate it by. And so the idea is that the Holy Spirit is the agent of filling, but that he fills you with a different substance than himself. Fills you with something else, but he's the agent of filling. Now, we're gonna see, starting next week, starting in verse 19, there are five specific substances of filling that he describes. It's, all, it's found in participle, speaking, singing, making melody, giving thanks, and submitting. That's practically in this passage, but generically, or more specifically, I believe he's filling us with the life of Jesus Christ. He's the agent, he's filling us with Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the substance of the filling, his life, the agent is the spirit. Again, used an example, we see a, a pitcher of water pouring water into a glass. We've got the pitcher representing the Holy Spirit. We've got the water representing the life of Jesus Christ. And we've got the cup representing the believer. This is what it means to be filled by the spirit, the spirit of God filling the believer with the life 
of Jesus Christ. And this is, this is why it can, it can fluctuate in the sense of us taking advantage of the resources we have in the life of Christ. Because if we're not walking by faith and we're presenting ourselves to sin, we're not going to be filled in terms of influence and control by the life of Jesus. And this is why this brings, I think, this whole section together. And so basically the command is to allow the spirit of God to be the agent of filling, again, filling you and I with the life of Jesus Christ. And this is why in Galatians 2.20, we see this concept communicated. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see that Christ lives in me and I live by faith in him. This is what the Spirit of God wants to accomplish. Colossians 1.27, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Again, the goal of the Spirit of God is to fill you, I believe, with the life of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.8, just to kind of give you another passage. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. The, the idea is that we're beholding Jesus Christ in the word of God. That's really what the context is indicating. As we do that, as we behold him, as we're occupied with him, as we're paying careful attention and looking to him, we're being transformed, what? into the same image. You see, the Spirit of God wants to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. How does he do that? By filling us with his life. That, that, that control of the life of Jesus Christ in and through us from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so you see that, even that passive concept. You don't fill yourself. The Spirit of God fills you with the life of Jesus Christ. And this is why in 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul describes the mystery of godliness. How does God want to make a believer godly, righteous in their practical living? He does it by manifesting his son's life in and through our mortal bodies. And this is why 1 Corinthians 3.16 simply says this, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. In the same way that God manifested himself in the flesh, of Jesus Christ, he, wanted, he wants to manifest himself through our mortal bodies. And he does this by filling us uh, with the life of Jesus Christ. This is where all of this comes together. Now, this is the key to Christian living, by the way. This needs to be emphasized in our mind and our thinking. We need to get very familiar with this concept because this is the how behind the what of all the commands we've been looking at. This is how you do it. This is how you're enabled to do it. This is how you're empowered to do it. It all comes back to this verse because understand this, you can take all of the commands in the New Testament and you can try your mind off to try to keep them. But I am here to tell you this, only the life of Jesus Christ living in and through you can keep those commands consistently. It's the only way it's going to happen. And thus, it's the key to the Christian life. It's the pinnacle of everything that we've been looking at. So to conclude, just like wine controls and influences everything in your life, your speech, your actions, your thinking, now allow the Spirit of God to do the same thing. And you're going to do that as you walk intentionally, mentally engaged with the truth of God's word. And so how do you do this? Well, you do this as you walk by faith. Galatians 5.16 is helpful in this. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So how can a person tell? We all want to be filled with the spirit. 
How can a person tell if they're filled with the Spirit? Well, we're going to see next week, Paul gives us five descriptions, five participles to describe what being filled by the Spirit of God looks like. How does it manifest itself? And so we'll consider that next week. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. Heavy stuff today, Lord, in terms of heavy but very practical. Lord, but we need you to make these truths real in our thinking and give us wisdom on on how to apply these, how to respond in our day-to-day life. How can we more consistently be filled by the Spirit? What does that look like for each one of us as we walk by faith and respond to your word? We pray this, that you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen.